We've had a great end to a great big week on the markets. We had uh, today, we had the PCE data, which is the inflation data that the Fed look at. And it came in exactly as expected. And the result is that right now we're looking at the markets and the markets are strong. Bitcoin is above 23,000. If you look at the S&P above 4,000, in fact, 4,079. And I think well through the little trend line. And it seems that the week's ended off pretty well. Next week is another big week because next week we've got Powell coming out uh, after the FOMC meeting and talking about interest rate increases. And we're expecting that Powell's going to increase interest rates by 25 basis points for the first time. So the big question is, the question that all of you are asking, should you be deploying capital now? I know we've all got PTSD. I know we're all scared because we've just been through a huge bear market. But is this the time to be deploying capital or is this the time to be taking capital off the table? That's what we're going to be talking about today on our big banter. It's going to be huge. It's going to be fun. I've got a new guest, a new member of the banter fan with us. Let's do this, guys. Let's do this. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. Get up, get up. I the guy go. Wake up, gotta wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up, get up. rise and shine i know it hasn't been a great market action full down the markets but it's been a great week on the markets we've had amazing pumps we've got phantom up 56.5 percent we got aptos up 120 percent we got bitcoin above 23,000. we got great information this week great data this week on the markets which uh, is pointing to the fact that maybe this uh, inflation problem is over and maybe we're moving to the next step in the cycle and as I said before, I think the big question in everybody's mind is whether we should be deploying capital now, whether we've seen the worst, um, and whether this is a safe time to be putting capital in the market, or whether we should all be careful and maybe there is another bottom coming up, which is what some investors are saying. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And as you know, Fridays, big shows on Banter. It's our Banter Fridays. We've got amazing guests. Just before we bring the guests in, I just want to remind you that our Banter Fridays are brought to you by the Crypto VPN, NordVPN. And as I said to you guys before, support NordVPN because they support us. Um, and they also help you surf or surf the web anon anonymously. And when you're interacting with exchanges and DeFi applications, you want to make sure you're anonymous. You want to make sure that you're away from the hackers and that no one knows where you guys actually are. And if you want to support them because they support us, they have a deal, a special deal for you guys, less than $4 a month. In fact, $3.35 a month. Support them. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. As I said, I've got some great guests for us today, including... None other than Patrick, but David. Patrick, welcome, my friend. It's great to be on with you. I love the intro, by the way. You know, we always we always worry when we bring guests on and we have, we play the intro because, you know, some people just don't get it. But I saw your head and I saw your smile and I saw you moving with the music and I said, you know what? He's actually one of us. He's actually one of us. Yeah, I love that. I don't know who that guy is, but I love that video. <laughs> Pat, um, you're new. You're new to the Banter fam. It's the first time we've had you on Banter. And I don't think you have been on many crypto uh, uh, shows. 
I think a good, a good place to start is to look at, to, to ask you about your views on crypto before we bring in the other guests, just to kind of lay the foundations for today's talk or for today's podcast. I want to just look at, um, I think I've got two tweets somewhere where you said you haven't really been very involved in crypto. Um, you haven't been against crypto, but you haven't been very involved in crypto. Maybe, maybe just give us some background about how you feel about crypto and whether you're invested. Yeah, so to me, when I think about crypto, I see Bitcoin, obviously, as the gold standard. That's the one where it makes sense uh, to somebody logically, mathematically. It makes sense to follow what Bitcoin is doing. Ethereum, at one point, made sense as well because uh, their story is a different story they're telling with the links to NFTs. Although I'm not an NFT guy, I think a lot of people uh, made a lot of money on NFTs. It was it was the typical get-rich-quick uh, it attracted that audience uh, on the NFT side. Now, that doesn't mean the technology is not going to be around. That doesn't mean blockchain is not going to be around. That doesn't mean investing in the technology of blockchain is not going to be around. That's the future of what we're going to be doing. So some of those stocks I uh, I do support. Uh, I'm a half a percent of my portfolio in uh, uh, crypto, uh, specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum. I would say probably 70% is Bitcoin, 30% is Ethereum. And I am not a big fan of 99% of NFTs. Well, you sound very much like uh, Scaramucci sounded many, many, many months ago when he used to say that a very small part of his portfolio in was in crypto. And then he kind of went all in on crypto. Mooch, welcome, buddy. I'm, I'm all in on crypto and I kept my hair, which I'm very happy about, okay? Because the stress level of you people, I thought I would have aged... 25 years and lost every follicle on the top of my head. But here I am, still here. Yeah, you, you're still here. I am all in on crypto. And by the way, I'm almost out on the Sam Bankman free thing, too. I mean, we're going to get those shares back hopefully shortly. So, we'll so I was one. about to ask you're still all in on crypto. You went through, we should call it a baptism of fire. And you probably went through quite a bad run with uh, SBF and FTX investing in your company. Um, also, being a big holder and a very high-profile holder of crypto in the institutional world, you were picked on by the press. You're still getting picked on by by the press. How how's it going since then? Have you managed to get your shares back? Walk us through what's going on. Well, no, we haven't got the shares back yet, but I'm very optimistic about it. I mean, we we are in the process of negotiating, and so we'll get our shares back. I mean, the good news is there were no economic preferential treatment to the FTX situation. So there's really nobody that's going to have an interest in those shares other than us. So that's good news. But, you know, you're, you know, Pat, Patrick is, it's interesting because Patrick is probably where I was two years ago. And uh, I'm probably a year and a half behind Mark Yusko. Uh, Cause I, I, you know, Mark, I credit you. And I've said this before on Crypto Panther with helping me get in this space. Cause I have such uh, respect for you. And I was I remember when you entered the space, you said, OK, I got to get myself up to speed on this. Um, and I've got my ass kicked. I've got my living ass kicked. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Uh, if a monkey, I'm just going to talk very openly. If a monkey was flipping coins last year, they would have done a better job than our decision making. How's that for? Uh, so I want to talk about that for a sec. Mitch, I want to talk about that. We just did everything that you could possibly think of wrong. And I thought they were all good decisions. So I'm happy to take you through every one of them, but that's what happened to us. So you're yeah. just, you're just the, the babe, Mooch. So it, it, that again, more. 
No, you're like you're like Babe Ruth. So Babe Ruth is doing his press conference years ago, and he's got his drink in his hand, and, and the guy says, "Babe, you know how you feeling, right? You know, he struck out four times." He's like, "Oh, it's awesome." And people are like, well, "What are you talking about? You struck out four times? Like, I'm that much closer to the next home run." Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that that adage that Reagan used to talk about with the young boy in there shoving all the pony dung. And like, what the hell are you doing? With this amount of dung, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere, you know? So yes, we have to stay eternally optimistic. I'm obviously super bullish. I love our portfolio. I just added personal money to the Skybridge Series G, which was down a lot this past year. Uh, And I'm going to add money every single month uh, because I believe in what we're doing. But I'm going to tell you, when I made the decision to accept the money from Sam, I thought it was a brilliant strategic decision. I thought I was teaming up with uh, the second largest cryptocurrency exchange, 12.5% of the market share of the trading. And I think I said this to you, Nan, somewhere where I, over the weekend, when the buzzing was happening over Coindesk and CZ was hitting him with a bag of uh, FTT tokens, I logged into your live stream. And you may or may not remember this, but you were buying FTT at 22 and then you put a stop loss in like slightly below there. And I was like, all right, that's sort of what I think. I think I don't think this thing is going to break down. I didn't see the house of cards tumbling. So I want to say this to your listeners. Okay, I want people to think about this. I'd love to have Patrick and Mark react to this in yourself. It's not the things that we worry about that get us in trouble. You know, I know Bitcoin's a high vol asset. I know that I've got trades on that could not work for me. But it's the things that I think with absolute certainty that I'm correct about that get me in trouble. Okay, I thought Sam was money good. Now, you guys can excoriate me now. We like to blame victims of the fraud and I get all that. But I thought he was money good. And that was more trouble than a 100 vol asset or an 80 vol asset like Bitcoin. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. Thank you guys for having me. Patrick, I'm I'm very interested to know as an outsider, like I said, an outsider to the industry, not as not as deep in as everybody else. You were watching the FTX uh, collapse. What were you thinking? You know, it's not like it's one and it's only Scaramucci. It's it's a bunch of people that were in it. Uh, on paper, everything looked good uh, in every possible way. Even the guys who you're who are enemies of it are saying, "Yeah, that's a good investment to be a part of." I think for me, it's the following. I know what I know, and I know uh, to try to be an expert in five different things, it's mathematically impossible. So there is a risk when you go into a new space, and you could get lucky. The, the luck factor is, you know, hey, let me tell you, Roger Ver bought 200,000 Bitcoins at a dollar, and he sold it to Michael Saylor at 32,000. Oh, you can have these types of conversations and the, the stories of people that got lucky. But, uh, you know, if you do go 100% in, like uh, 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 Scaramucci is talking about, where I feel like I'm on a podcast right now where it's baptism. You guys are trying to baptize me into the Bitcoin space <laughs> and in the name of uh, whoever the, you know, the folks are uh, to get baptized in this community. No, but from an outsider, I saw this happen in real estate. Guys who went all in and they said, I'm going 100% real estate. A couple guys became billionaires. But also some people were three years off and those guys that went in should have been billionaires are worth 20 million bucks. This game of investing is ugly. You can get in the ring and get knocked out and be on the cover of Sports Illustrated for getting knocked out. It's not easy. It's scary. It's not for everybody. This is why most people don't want to get in the ring. So the fact that folks are getting in the ring, number one, I tip my hat off to you. You know, I respect you doing that. Uh, 
because you can get knocked out. Many of us do. If you have money and real money, I'm not talking about like I'm talking if you have real, real money, you probably have real, real money because you got a, you got knocked out a few different times and it's happening to a lot of people today. But the name of the game is those who are long term thinkers, they're going to redeem themselves and the stories are going to flip in two years and talk about the person who was the you know, who had no clue what he was doing. He is now the expert. Everybody wants to have him on. Oh, look at him. He was right all along. This this game is a long game. You got to be patient. They're going to take shots at you. They're going to build you up. You're going to be hero. You're going to be zero the next day. But you got to be patient. Yeah. You know, I must say, I must say, Patrick. I know your background is is in in hard work and grind and building businesses. And I know that that's kind of what you preach a lot. Um, this is this industry is a very strange industry. And the reason why it's such a strange industry is because you got a whole lot of millionaires, hundred millionaires, multi-billionaires that didn't do anything except speculate very, very early on magic video game money. And so, you know, I, I remember when I got into this industry in 2016, 2015, and I started to meet the big guys in the industry. And I came from a very traditional business background where, you know, I built a business with 1500 staff and multiple offices, and it was a grind. And then I walked into an industry where there were multi-billionaires flying around in private jets. And the only thing that they'd ever accomplished or achieved in their lives <laughs> was they bought magic internet digital currency at $1 when it was $1 and they held it until it was at the time, three, four, five thousand dollars um, $5,000. And so it's a very, very strange industry to be in because it's an industry that rewards speculators very, very well. Also, it's an industry which gives you a consistent scoreboard of how well you're doing. You know, there's, there's not many industries in the world that give you a consistent scoreboard for how well you're doing. And I think that it attracts a whole lot of what I call retard DGENs who love dopamine rushes because what it does is it gives them a feedback loop. So the feedback loop is I think that the AI narrative is going to work. So I put a little bit of money in AI, the price goes up, I get the feedback, I think I'm a genius. And it constantly gives you this feedback loop. And there's no other industry in the world that does that 24 7, 365. It makes you feel like a hero and it makes you feel, you know, it gives that, that constant uh, um, rush. And that's, you know, I see now in, in the chat, people are saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's all of us. You, you think you're a genius because it's that constant feedback loop. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Guys, if you are watching at home um, and you like this content, smash the subscribe button, smash the like button. Let's get the numbers up. Remember, if we do get to 2,000 likes, the Rolex goes today. If not, well, we give it away again tomorrow. I'm going to talk about broader markets. We've had amazing, 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 an amazing week on the broader markets, or at least I think it's been an amazing week. We had, um, let's start off with the PCE numbers today, showing that inflation is actually coming down quite aggressively. I made a chart around CPI, and I want to maybe just call up that chart quickly. Um, this was the chart around CPI. You looked at, if you look at the last six months of CPI data, it's at, it's a 0.9%. Annualize that, add a little bit of spice, you got yourself a 2% inflation rate, which is what Powell's talking about. Today, we, we had the, PC, the PCE numbers. They came out today exactly as expected, 4.4% year on year versus the expected on the core numbers. Um, does it feel like this inflation problem is now behind us? Or do you guys think that we're going to get this some kind of surprise? And if the inflation problem is now behind us, does that mean that we've seen the end or we're nearing the end of the interest rate hike cycle? Let's start off with Mark. Mark, you haven't. Uh... Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. So one, I, I, I don't think we have an inflation problem. I, I think it's a semantics problem. Uh, you know, inflation is caused by excess demand and limited supply of, of goods and services. 
that's not what we had. We had plain old, good old fashioned currency devaluation. The Fed doubled the money supply in 2020 and 2021. So an 18-month period. Look, we've been a republic for 247 years. It's a long time. 247 years. Half of all the dollars in the history of the republic were created in 18 months. And that causes stress. And so in the last 12 months, uh, Jerome, right? It's funny. You know, when, when Jerome came into power, when he became the, the head of the, the, the Fed, he was Jerome, right? Buttoned up, suit and tie, the hawk, right? And he was going to raise rates. And the Trumpster just bashed him. I mean, just, said, no, no, you are Jay the dove. And then 2020 happened and he became the letter J, the pusher. Like he was handing out stimmy checks at the corner of Broad and Wall, like, like they were going out of style. I mean, he was wearing the hoodie, forget the suit and tie. He was the pusher. And then last year, somehow he shed all that and went back to being buttoned up Jerome. And he has been cranking up the heat on, on uh, interest rate hikes. And everybody's like, oh, look, inflation's coming down. Because, bullshit. Inflation, the CPI number is coming down because oil prices went down, because Biden drained the SPR, and because used car prices went down, because we actually can get chips again. It has nothing, zero, to do with the Fed. The Fed didn't create the inflation. They didn't create the you know, disinflation. It has nothing to do with Jerome. So this, this whole nonsense about, oh, if, if, if we can get a good CPI print, then the market's going to moon. Bullshit. Look, the Fed going from 75 to 50 basis points is not a pivot, right? Oh, he pivoted. No, he's still raising rates. He's still limiting liquidity. He's still tightening monetary conditions. And the market's calling bullshit, right? The market is pricing in cuts this year. I think they're going to be sorely disappointed because he is back to doing what he thinks is his job, which is short-term interest rates for 200 years have roughly equaled nominal GDP growth. Nominal okay. GDP growth, probably around 4%, and short-term rates need to stay at 4%. They're not going back to zero. They're not. And so everyone thinks, well, we're going to get this big boom in the market. Well, has anyone seen earnings lately? They're not good. Why are they not but good? That- but that's expected because, I mean, I, I guess when you raise interest rates, you, you slow down the economy, you make it harder for, for companies to perform. You want to try you want to try and increase unemployment because you're balancing or the Fed is balancing interest rates and, and unemployment. So that's kind of what they're doing. And the result of that is that you get a report, reported earnings coming down with a lag effect. And that's usually what puts us into recession. But for me, the word recession that everybody's using Number one, I think we're very far from recession. And where I, what I base my data on is that the GDP numbers at 2.9% GDP growth. That's, that's, that's not a recession. That's nowhere near a recession. No, it is. And no, I'm it not- is. Ryan, Ryan. No, absolutely not. Okay, first of all, that 2.9% is meaningless. Q3 and Q4 GDP are totally meaningless numbers because three quarters of it is the release of the SPR. We're double counting the oil again. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is the year over year change in GDP was 1%. 1% is a recession. Full on, that okay. is a recession. It's the same okay. as 2001. And, and, and we're, we're, we're reliving 2000 and 2002. Last year was 2001. I think this year will be 2002. And all the fraud's going to bubble up to the top. All the cooking of the books in corporate America is going to bubble to the top. And I don't know that we'll have an Enron. Uh, everybody's like, oh, you know, FTX is Enron. No, no. It, it, it's so small relative mm -hmm. to what Enron was and WorldCom. And um, anyway. Uh, um, Moot, what do you think? Have we seen the end of the inflation, the inflation problem? And have we seen the end of the interest rate hikes? I mean, the market's forecasting two more interest rate hikes, both of them 25 basis points. That's what's left for this year. What do you think? I want them to go a little further on that analogy because I want to understand it better. But here's a, here's what I would say. And this is my view and I could be totally wrong. I don't see how they wait for inflation to go back to 2%. You, you, you look at the debt level and you look at the interest rates. Let's just go over this for everybody. 38% of the national debt is rolling in the next two years. So let's say 40%, just to round it off, you see the debt clock. Let's call it 30 trillion, just for simple mathematics. That's $12 trillion of debt that's picking up 200 to 250 basis points of interest rate expenses, okay? So let's do the math together. That's $240 million, excuse me, billion dollars of billion. additional interest billion. rate expenses. Meant to say billion, you get them all confused. I think that's one of the problems, Mark. These congressmen really don't know the difference between trillion, billion, and million. So that's why- Oh no, they can't do math. Yeah, and Moose, so, you're exactly right. I mean, we throw the trillion number around like it's nothing, right? We would have to sit here together for 31,710 years, which I promise would actually be most unpleasant, and spend a dollar a second for 31,710 years. That's one trillion. Right. It's wow. a ginormous so, I mean, number. I mean, I mean, but, but Mark, here's the thing. Like, so you can't, there's no Fed person looking at that and saying, okay, no problem. Let me jack rates another 300 basis points because I don't like this last inflation right. print. You know, and 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 Barry Stonelick said it the other day. You know, Volcker didn't have a thirty-two trillion dollar debt balance sheet, so I don't know what these guys are thinking. You're going to have a one trillion dollar interest expense on the federal budget. How are you going to do that, guys? You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to monetize the debt, whether you like it or not. They're going to bring the rates down. It's going to pop the market. That's what I think. Right. And that that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I mean, the 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 the, the problem with the debt is the service, right? We got to a low of 1.6% of GDP going uh, on interest. We've never had higher than 3.2 ever. Uh, and we're starting to approach 3.2%. Um, we can't exceed that, right? Now, the problem is the cult of Kelton. Stephanie Kelton, freaking crazy person. And the people that listen to her are even more stupid She's convinced people of this nonsense that the government that has the world reserve currency and can print as much money as they want with no ill effect. If that were true, wouldn't every country just do it? Well, Mark, every country doesn't have the world reserve currency. Doesn't matter. If it were true that you could create wealth by printing money, everyone would do it. And so you can't 
wealth comes from work, productivity, innovation, like creation, right? Building businesses. It does not come from printing money. And so all these people that listen to this crazy woman aren't looking at the numbers. And I, I tweet it out all the time. Hashtag math is hard. Math is hard when you start getting to these, these levels of numbers, but they, they believe you can, you can put a trillion dollar deficit and just ignore it. Like it's not there, but it's there. I don't know. Let me, get, let me, let me pass this to Patrick. Patrick, what do you think? You've been watching the inflation problem. Do you think that we've reached the end of this, the cycle? Do you think that, do you think that Powell's achieved a soft landing? I mean, I know it's not, it's not popular opinion, but it hasn't let's been. But, but let's just say we are at the end of the cycle. So let's ask that question. Okay, let's just say we are. So in bodybuilding, when, when a bodybuilder does steroids, so the body stops producing testosterone, right? And the body gets like, let's just, you can take your levels from four, 400 to 1200, like you were 18 years old and look at the muscles I'm building. Look how cut up I am. I'm taking all these steroids. Your body stops producing naturally. So when we went on a 128 month economic expansion or 129 months. Oh my God, look how much money we're making. This is the first time we have all these people worth $100 billion. Look at the kind of wealth that's being created. This is amazing. You know, all this fake success. A lot of people had a lot of fake success. And then, boom, people got exposed. Boom. We 50% that Mark was talking about in 18 months, which is insane. Oh, this is going to help low and middle income family. Low and middle income family would have money if they knew how to save. So the money rolled up to the rich. The rich got richer. So the same people that wanted to help the poor and low and middle income, they hurt them. They made the rich richer. And that's a that's a left-leaning policy, by the way. That's not a conservative policy. But the reality is both of them spend the money. Trump was worried whether he's going to get reelected. So let's spend the money ourselves. And then, you know, Biden does the $1.9 trillion on March of 2021. And the next month, everybody's bragging about the fact that, did you see what happened with the savings rate in America? 27%. It's unbelievable. The American people are saving money. This is the model. But then look at the numbers today. Last month's savings rate is 2.4%. Lowest in 17 years. Who's paying the price? The rich got richer. The money's with them. Yeah, of course, you know, sometimes you have money in the market and that can fluctuate. But you still own the same amount of shares if you didn't sell. If you're, if you're playing the long game, it's going to recover. We know how the economy works. We know how the market works. If you don't sell, if you sell, you took a loss. If you don't sell, you still have the wealth. It's just the prices kind of change. But the low and middle income took a massive, massive hit. So now here's the one thing nobody's talking about. I'm having dinner with David Solomon a month ago in Miami. And we're at this dinner. We're sitting there and everyone's asking all the questions. And then I said, David, there's one thing nobody's talking about. What's that? Everyone's trying to solve this, you know, inflation number because Powell, we're going to keep raising rates until we hit 2%. And you know, bragging about it. And we know Powell is a guy that used to work at Rubenstein for seven years. So it's not like he's not coming from the private side. He's been on the private side. He understands the private side. And he went to work, you know, for the government taking Yellen's job. And, you know, he came in, he's on both sides, left and right. So politically, you can't put him on one side. He's just more a guy that's probably center. But I say everybody's talking about uh, interest rates and everybody's talking about inflation. No one's talking about unemployment. I mean, if you're going to keep these rates going like this, what's going to happen in Q3 of 2023? Well, we're estimating that unemployment could go, you know, around 4.5 to 5%. We don't know yet. We're seeing what's going on in, uh, tech, you know, the technology sector. We saw what Goldman Sachs came out in the article talking about four markets that are going to hit real estate that are going to lose more than 25%. San Diego, San Jose, Austin, 
and you have Phoenix. And what do those four things have in common? San Jose, tech. Austin, tech. You got Phoenix, semi-tech. The only one that's not tech is San Diego. San Diego's got a different kind of a sector they're dealing with. We're expecting these four markets in real estate to dip 25%. So, okay, where is this going? We're going to get more layoffs. We're seeing Amazon. We're seeing Google. We're seeing all these Microsoft. Here's how they sent the email to. Now we're seeing Redfin. Now we're seeing Spotify. Now we're seeing all these other guys. We don't yet know what's going to really be happening. So we can sit there and be very optimistic this year. It's not recession. It's really 2.9% or 2.4%. And the market saying, no, it's really 1%. If you take the oil out, which our reserves kind of depleted, it's a very, it's probably the worst time ever to be an expert. Okay. It's probably the worst time ever to act like you know what's going to happen because none of us know what's going to be happening. So the, the question you asked at the beginning where you said today we want to talk about, is it the time to buy? Is it a time to get back into the market? Is it a time to deploy some of your money? I think you could do that and come out looking smart a year and a half from now. And you can do that, look like an idiot six months from now. But we ought to do that. I mean, the reality of it is unless you can predict the future, we have to kind of go back to the same old boring philosophy of dollar cost averaging. If you're going to go in, whatever the amount is, maybe start 5, 10%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5%, 5% gradually without assuming that we all know what's going to be happening. Because the reality of it, uh, of it is when, when you look at all these numbers that we're all talking about, no one for a fact knows what's going to happen because you don't control the pen. Powell does. We don't know regulation with what they're going to be doing at the top of the U.S. government. And then we're hearing what Jamie Dimon is talking about the other day when he's being asked about Bitcoin and say, well, you know, you just can't trust it. And, you know, what if, uh, you know, what about Bitcoin? There's only a limited amount. You know how many coins there is? Yeah, but you can't, you know. And so eventually they don't have an answer. So maybe they want to create their own coin to kind of screw it up for the people that are in because they feel bad that they didn't get in to make the 3,000 times that some average people that made a couple billion dollars. You know, billionaires who are billionaires don't want to see other billionaires who became billionaires because they got lucky. Some billionaires that are billionaires want to be billionaires because they're smarter than you. They don't like lucky billionaires. They don't like accidental billionaires because you are not as smart as them. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not. So it's a very, very weird time. Um, I think it's it's probably a time to still be a little bit paranoid, but you could make a mistake if you don't go in. Mooch, I heard you on another podcast and you said that the Jamie Dimon talking at the World Economic Forum in Davos uh, around Bitcoin was actually the buy signal for you. Just walk me through walk me through your thinking there. Mooch, that... Well, listen, I mean, I've been to Davos uh, 16 times. It is the most wonderful contrary indicator in our civilization. So when I was there in 2007, the economy was perfect. We had solved all our monetary policy problems. We were never going to have a recession and life was good. We had the worst economic crisis in 80 years. In 2009, after the economic crisis started, the world was going to open. All of us were going to fall into the center of the earth. Start of the biggest bull market in U.S. history. 2016, the Davosians said that Hillary Clinton was going to be unanimously elected president of the United States. In 2020, they said, well, Donald Trump, of course, he's going to get reelected president. And so what happens with consensus thinkers, what happens with elitists, frankly, they don't want to embarrass themselves in front of each other. And so it, it, they, it's almost like a match sailing race. They all want to have the same point of view. Uh, and they'll look at somebody like me that will take a contrarian view mockingly. 
Um, and so I said in 2020, Trump's going to lose the election. Uh, I got to Davos last week. There was a funeral dirge going on for crypto. All things related to the blockchain, all things related to Bitcoin. Uh, J- Jamie knows better. And I would love to have an opportunity to debate Jamie on this. He knows better. He knows that he knows what Bitcoin is. When he's calling it a decentralized Ponzi scheme or a pet rock, I think he's serving the interests of the elites around him. And I think he wants to create a safe haven for himself regulatorily. And I understand all that. But that is a classic sign of a bottom for me that there's that much negativity in the world of elitism related to blockchain and crypto. I must say, when I listened to Jamie Dimon, I was super disappointed by him because here's a guy who's running the biggest, one of the biggest banking organizations in the world. He knows exactly what Bitcoin is. He knows exactly that the 21 million is hard coded. He knows exactly that you can't change the 21 million, but his argument came out and said, well, what if I decide to mint new coins? I just felt that here's a guy who's in charge of the bank. He, he needs to know better before he criticizes a financial instrument that, that has performed um, so well. And I think even worse is that his bank was one of the, the first banks to introduce their high net worth private clients yeah, to Bitcoin. Christine, Christine Moy was the one that worked on the wallet for him before she went over to Apollo. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I was super that, disappointed. Uh, yeah, I was super disappointed in the narrative. Mark, I saw you got cut off, so welcome back. And I think it, this is a good time to play this little, um, the last time that you came on to Banter. I just want to play this because I think it's worth talking about. So two weeks ago, I do this weekly show on Friday mornings called On the Margin. And two weeks ago, I said, you know, I'm pretty sure that winter's ended. But I'm not 100% sure. We need one more higher low. We need a third higher low. But once that happened, absolute certain that winter's over, spring is here. Now, spring can be volatile. Doesn't mean we're going straight up. But winter's over, and we're in an accumulation pattern, not a distribution pattern, not a liquidation pattern. So, so that was the 8th to the 7th of October. That's when you were here last, 7th of October. That's what you said. I guess we could probably say that that's where we are right now. Where, what do you think, and where do you think we're going from here? Look, I, I, I stand by what I said. June 15th was the end of winter, beginning of spring. What I missed was Hurricane Sam. So I live in North Carolina, and every once in a while, about every 10 years, kind of late March, we get a nor'easter that spins off the coast and it dumps a bunch of snow. It's still spring. It's just snowing. And so, look, we had a nor'easter. We had this, this Hurricane Sam. Bad people do bad things. And, you know, I don't want to go all the way deep into the rabbit hole, but, but I, got, I got one thing to say on that. So Sam Bankman-Fried and Caroline were the masterminds of nothing. Okay? They are not the masterminds. This is way bigger and way more evil uh, than we need to talk about today. But, um, and, and Howard Marks said it best. He said, you know, the problem in this world is, is you have to decide between the good people who sound good and the bad people who sound good. Because they're only people who sound bad make presentations. And so, you know, I just got lucky. Right. I mean, I, I never met the guy. Um, you know, we we probably would have been lured in by his his charm. And I, I feel for for Mooch and everyone who was was victimized by this guy. The guy's a bad guy. Um, I think there are way worse people above him. But my point is, yes, we had the, the dip from 18 down to 15 and then back to 18. We made the perfect cup and handle pattern. 
Um, but spring, interestingly enough, you think about the four-year cycle. Spring is basically flat. I mean, that is a perfect cup and handle. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I'll, although somebody labeled it a double D, which is not politically correct, but uh, it does have a funny, they, they made a funny drawing. Um, but the the key there is uh, spring, spring, spring is flat. Is flat. But there's a lot of volatility. Summer, which I think starts in April, May, usually nine months ahead of the, the halving, uh, that's when things are going to get fun. And the reality is, Bitcoin was engineered so perfectly. It's really amazing when you think about it. That's why I'm pretty sure Satoshi's not a single person because I don't think any one person could be this smart. I mean, just think about the halving. The halving guarantees number go up because what happens on the halving is you have all the miners that are securing the network and they have a fixed cost of electricity and space and machines. And suddenly the rewards go down in half whole bunch would go bankrupt unless the price goes up. The price going up tends to attract attention. Now, I always joke, it, it's mostly guys, right? Because we're hunter-gatherers and we see motion. I, I, it was a funny thing. So my wife says, get the ketchup out of the refrigerator. And I walk the refrigerator, open the refrigerator door, no ketchup. She walks up, grabs the bottle. If it ain't moving, I can't see it. So it's just real. Um, but once the price starts moving, then you go from the investors who buy assets when they're below fair value, to traders who don't give a shit about value, they just want movement, to speculators. And speculators are just the opposite side of hedgers. So you have miners who have to sell Bitcoin. So speculators come in and take the other side. But then you have the degenerate gamblers. And this is where it gets bad. When people enter a market with leverage, that's what causes the stress. And that's what causes the massive volatility. And so today, the network value of, of the Bitcoin blockchain is somewhere 20, high 20s, 28, 29. So as an investor, I'm buying because the price, current price, price is a liar, by the way, price is not value. The price is below fair value. So I'm, I'm a buyer. And then as we get into crypto summer in April, May, uh, then the traders will push that price above fair value. And I'll still buy dollar cost averaging, as Patrick was saying, most important thing. Don't buy it all at once. You should just, it was funny. I remember being on, uh, and I'll stop talking. I was on CNBC in 2019. And literally while I was on the show, the price went from 10,000 to 8,000. And Melissa Lee, and this was in six minutes. It wasn't like in, in six hours, it was in six minutes. And Melissa Lee says, so what should we do? I said, buy it. She said, what? Are you kidding? Well, no, no, you'd always I remember, say that. I remember this interview so well. I remember this. I remember this day so well. I remember this day so well. I must yeah. say. And and my point was, buy it today, buy it tomorrow, buy it next week, buy it next month. And here's the thing, I'm I'm not sure. I, I love Mooch said before. You know, it's the things that we know for certain that just ain't so. That's what kills us. Like when you're sure about something, like doubt is the greatest superpower in the world. If you can stay in a place of doubt and don't think that you know everything, you do much better. But when we're certain of something, and my wife would say that I'm certain of way too much, but I am certain, and, and I mean this, I am certain of one thing, that blockchain technology is the evolution of computing power 
that has been going on since the 50s, 54 the mainframe, 68 the microchip, 82 the personal computer, 96 the internet, 2010 the mobile net, 2024, which is next year, y'all, the truth net. And we are going to replace trust with truth. And blockchains are going to run everything. I am certain of that. And the Bitcoin blockchain is the most powerful supercomputer in the world, is the most powerful computing network in the world by an order magnitude of 1,500x. It's 1,500 times more powerful than CERN supercomputer. Owning a piece of that network is the most important thing you can do in this world. Wow, Patrick, does that does that convince you? I mean, does that convince you to put more than maybe another half a percent of your portfolio into crypto? I did a good job on me and 99% of my portfolio is in crypto. Listen, two nights ago, I'm having dinner in uh, uh, at the Soho house and these guys are trying to tell me about psychedelics. And for two and a half hours, it's Patrick, you haven't lived life until you do DMD, you take psychedelics, you take these drugs. Have you done LSD? Have you done like, listen, <laughs> my entire life I've been around, you know, people that want to convince me what to do. It's on the individual to be able to reason. We all have certain certainties. My way of making money, I'm an operator. So when I'm sitting down with my Goldman Sachs advisor and he says to me, uh, uh, he says, so we can put this much money in this BlackRock portfolio and we're going to get 7.2% over the next decade. I'm like, how much? Well, you know, around seven point. I said, so you mean to tell me what I put in 10 years going to double rule of 72? Yeah, I said, that doesn't excite me. That's too boring for me. And he said the best thing to me, the best thing to me. He said, Patrick, uh, all of you will relate to this. He says, there isn't anything you're going to give money to that's going to make a better rate of return than whatever you're personally operating and building. I said, what a great statement. So the moment I understood that concept, for me, I looked at it and I said, say I put 10 million bucks in Bitcoin today. Great. I get it at 22. Let's just say I get it at 23, 22. Fantastic. And say it goes to 100,000 within 24 months. Let's just say. Say it goes 200,000 within 60 months. That's a realistic number. I'm not exaggerating. It could go to 100,000 within the next two weeks. I'm just being very, by the end of next, it goes to 100,000. By the end of fibers, it goes to $250,000. Great. Whatever that is, it's still not going to give me better rate of return than me taking $10 million and putting into the company that I'm going to build. And we sell that for $600 million and I'm going to get a 50x return. on. So, so that's my processing. Don't take it personally. That's just how I'm wired with it. The money, so, my kids long-term investments to see what it's going to do for them. I wouldn't entertain, entertain that conversation uh, uh, a lot more than the other one. But if I can make one comment, I, I, I do want to say one thing that, uh, uh, I don't think we're paying enough attention to, uh, uh, and I know you guys are, but I don't know a lot of people are paying attention to it out there. Last year, uh, Q1 of 2022, U.S. total savings collectively, we had $2.1 trillion. I'm sure you saw that, Mark. So we had $2.1 trillion. Okay, we're doing pretty good cash-wise. Yep. And then a quarter later, we went to $1.9. Q3, we're at $1.6. And that savings is depleting. For the average investor, this is all of us collectively together. We got a couple trillion dollars in a bank. Now it's down to 1.3 to 1.5, and it's kind of moving around that number. What does that mean? Well, you know, the, the average person who was sitting there saying, babe, we're not going to sell this house for $780,000. Put it in the market for nine eighty. dollars No one's buying. We're not moving because we got savings. Okay. Their $200,000 went to one eighty. dollars to 160 and all of a sudden it's at $92,000. You're saying, babe, we had $92,000 in savings. Maybe we should sell that thing at $800,000. Mm -hmm. 
So I think what we're about to experience the next, and specifically, and Mark said very good, he says, it's different than if you're a day trader, you know, you're kind of, you're, you want volatility versus a buy and hold, you have a different mindset, low and middle income, different mindset, you know, guy that's operator, different mindset. The average investor who's listening to this, if savings depletes, my dad always said, man's identity and confidence changes when he doesn't have savings. He says, always have cash that no one knows about, including me, your wife, your family, anybody. Always have cash. It gives you a certain poise and confidence. He says, if you ever see a man that seems weak, you can tell by the way he stands. You can tell by their eyes. You can tell by the way they look at you. It's because they don't have a lot of cash right now. Don't ever mess with cash, right? People's cash is going down, which means people are going to do some dumb stuff in, in the next 6, 12 months. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people that have cash to buy things on pennies on a dollar. That's where I come in. I, I, I'm playing that game. I'm not playing the, you know, uh, all the other games. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the next three, six, 12 months. I must say, what you said before this really, really resonated with me. Um, you mentioned about what, what, what doesn't excite you as much, what, what, what excites you more than just investing in something and making money is actually building something. And I don't know how much you know, but um, before this, I built one of the biggest marketing companies, or the biggest marketing company in Africa, and I sold it. And then I started to invest, and I made a lot of money investing in Bitcoin and crypto. You sold it for, if I'm not mistaken, 750 or some number like that. It was a very uh, uh, good number. I sold, I sold it for $100 million plus, which, which, in Africa, yeah. which in Africa is a big number. But take you back, take you forward a couple of steps. I made a couple of really good investments, um, which made a lot of money so i took some i mean i invested half a million dollars into a, a token called luna and, uh, and and that went up to that was worth over 100 million dollars by the end of it now how the story ends is that in in a period of 48 or 72 hours i lost over 100 million dollars on on luna it's a very high, highly publicized it's been on multiple podcasts etc it was the the worst the worst period in my life bar none it's 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 one of the only times in my life where I remember not being able to feel the blood in my face. I'd look at my wife and look at my kids and I'd look at them like I was a dead man. I was like, I tried to smile, but I just couldn't. It's like, you're dead inside, but your yeah. body's alive. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, at what point is my body going to shut down and am I going to die in my sleep? Because there's just no way that you can suffer so much and nothing happened wow. to you internally. But the reason why I'm telling you the story is because... <clears throat> In hindsight, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I lost sight on building a crypto business because my investment portfolio was making so much money. And when my investment portfolio was making so much money, there was no incentive for me to really build my crypto business, which actually is much more valuable than any money that I've lost. So what I did was I pivoted and I, I said, uh, after having a pity party and and you know, eventually composing myself again and getting motivated again. I said to myself, you know, the biggest chance that I've got of making that hundred million plus back is to build this business. And I spent two weeks fully focused on this business. And within two weeks, I think I doubled the value of this business and this business continues to grow, to grow exponentially. And I think why that resonated with me, and maybe this is going to resonate with a whole lot of people here in the audience is to say, we have an opportunity. You have multiple opportunities. One of the opportunities that you have is you have an opportunity to invest in, 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 in an industry that we all believe in, in technology we all believe in. That's one opportunity you have. But we also have an opportunity to build incredible businesses and to build amazing things 
because a it's the barriers to entry are lower than ever. Not many people know more than us. Not many people. You don't need a lot of money. You don't even need a copywriter anymore because chatbot can do all your copywriting for you. <laughs> the barriers to entry of building an amazing business now in this industry um, are lower than they've ever been. And so I think what, what resonated with me about what Patrick said is, you know, it's not only about investing in this industry, but it's also about building incredible businesses in this industry. And I know that Mooch and, and Mark, you guys have been on this train for a long time. You guys have both built businesses. Mooch, that's why I felt so bad for you when this whole SPF thing happened, because I think the one thing that, you know, what the market came after you was about how you got swindled by FTX and how, how dumb are you and how could you have given him so much money? But no one told the story of Mooch and this business that he had spent how many years building? Well, listen, I'm 35 years in the industry, 18 years of this business, you know. But remember, he he gave me the money, you know, you know, you know. So so the the problem is he hurt my reputation. I took him to meet people that I had three decade relationships with, and so I had relationships with people that were older than Sam was on planet Earth that I was <laughs> taking him to meet, and he betrayed the trust of me and many others by doing that, and it was just. It was just ridiculously reckless of him to do that. But you're bringing up something. I just want to address it. We blame the victims in our society. So when we look at the list of Theranos investors, they say, oh, those are all stupid people. Uh, Goldman Sachs got hit by that guy in Malaysia. OK, oh, they've got to be stupid people. You know, the point being is if someone's perpetrating a fraud, you know, they can do a number on you. Yep. And, you, you know, you could be an honest person and not see it. He had a pristine data room, pristine. He had pristine venture capital investors. You know, he was a very well-regarded guy. People can pretend otherwise now because of what we know, but uh, he was a very well-regarded guy. No, look, I mean, to, to that point, you know, on CNBC, they called him, you know, the JP Morgan of our age. They called him the John D. Rockefeller of our age, the Cornelius Vanderbilt of our age. I mean, hell, they call him the freaking, they call him Jesus Christ. They call him the Jesus Christ of crypto. That's blasphemy. And, and down here in, Morgan, in, in North Carolina, they call him the Michael Jordan, right? Even more blasphemous in North Carolina. Like, <laughs> but, I mean, this guy perpetrated a fraud. Same thing with Elizabeth. And, you know, people are like, oh, Tim Draper is an idiot. Tim Draper, literally one of the five smartest people I've ever met in my life. I'm I'm privileged to be able to call him. I can't call him a friend, friend, but love him. Love him. business partner, one of the smartest people on this planet. And yeah, he got he got hoodwinked by by Elizabeth, but Elizabeth was a liar. She's a fraud. No, think, you, a liar. you said that this that you said that this SBF thing was much bigger than we we think. You you alluded to the fact that he was just the front man, and this is actually he's a he, useful idiot. Look up the term "useful idiot" tonight, and and you'll um, understand. He's so a useful we, idiot. Be, for, be more, be more descriptive. So you, okay. you're saying there were bigger so people. I, I, I believe, I believe, and it's just my, it's just my belief. I don't, you know, and and some of it's rooted in fact. Um, I believe that uh, a much larger uh, group that does not want crypto to survive and thrive. Um, great. Look, there, there are too many weird things, right? This company didn't exist six years ago did not exist. And it, it became the second largest, 
on paper, because it actually wasn't real, second largest crypto exchange in the world. Tell me where the original money came from to, to start the company. The company was started a week after um, Biden gets into office. The largest contributor to Biden's campaign was Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried's mother is a large tornado cash operator. Not, not, that's not actually tornado cash, but basically what she does is the equivalent of tornado cash. She scrubs political campaign contributions so the venture capitalists can get around campaign finance laws. That's what she does. The dad, you know, went to Yale with all the, you know, uh, glitterati in, in DC as an advisor to uh, three-letter agencies, um, you know, taught Peter Thiel, gave him the, the, the deal on, right? So there's, and here's the thing, in the old days, if I wanted to bribe somebody, in the old days, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you take it down. The black hats are going to show up. Um, so look, I, I would meet Mooch at the park and I'd have my backpack and I'd, I'd put on the, the bench and, and I'd walk away and he's like, Mark, Mark, you left your backpack. I'm just keep walking. And he looks in the backpack and it's full of cash. Just like, Oh, okay. No way to trace that. No way to trace that. But here's the thing. If the government sends money on chain to the Ukrainian government, who then sends it to FTX, who then sends it to Alameda, who then puts it in a shell company. Here's a stat that is hard to believe. There are 400-ish companies in the Alameda portfolio, 400. 200 of them, just let that number sink in, 200 of them were shell companies owned solely by SBF. Wow, this is, a, this is a huge definition of money laundering. So you're basically saying that he he wanted to wreck the crypto market by imploding. Okay, correct. Did he, did he do that? Did he did he no, wreck the market? What he did what he did is he set us back. Right, it's inevitable that we. But he win. didn't. He, I mean, he he set us back. He set us back. I think he set us forward. And I'll tell you why I think he set us forward. Okay. We suffered for two months. The price two months after the FTX collapse is is above the FTX price. I'll tell you why he set us forward, because he's put us much closer to getting the regulation that we need to make this industry a bona fide industry. So I think you, you want to talk about a setback. I know a lot of people lost a lot of money. I know a lot of people still have their money stuck in FTX. But in terms of price, too much. I mean, oh, no, 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 I'm not talking about price. Rand. What, I'm, what I'm talking about is, again, and, and again, it wasn't Sam. It was not Sam. And yeah. it wasn't Caroline. Oh, God, it was not Caroline. Whew, not Caroline. Yeah. Caroline's dad was a certain person's boss. That certain person with no experience became the head of a three-letter agency. Okay? It's interesting. Interesting how that happens. Now, here's the thing. If a billion dollars leaves banks and goes into crypto, no one cares. I describe it like this. 2009 to 15 was the first they ignore you phase. Right? Bunch of nerds and geeks playing with their magic internet money. Who gives a shit? No kid. Then they laugh at you. 2016 to 21. Ah, God, look at those nerds and geeks playing with their magic internet money. A bunch of idiots. 2022 to 27. Then they fight you. Now, the cool thing is the last part of that is then you win. But I will argue we've already won. If you're here, if you're in crypto, you've already won. Because it's so inevitable that everything in the world will run on blockchains and it will be the power it will, we will all be self-sovereign and we will all, but the banks, billion dollars leaves, they don't care. $10 billion leaves, they don't care. 
$50 billion leaves, they care. Where's it going? Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi. Who did they attack? Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi. Now you can say Celsius idiots because they had the token. Okay, Voyager idiots because they had the token. BlockFi had no token, by the way. Uh, then you have you know FTX token. Mark, Mark, I do want to pick this up. I, I, do, I think we should have a separate show and we should discuss the, the FTX debacle. I do know that Patrick is on a very, very, very tight schedule. So this is probably a good place to, to cut it for today. Guys, I'm going to thank you, Patrick. Welcome to the Banter Fam. Um, much love from all of us. Mooch, Mark, you guys are regulars, but much love. Uh, nice to see you guys again and we'll see you guys again soon. To the Banter Fam, while I'm letting the guys go, uh, hold on. Let's just, uh, guys, thank you very, very much. Well, thanks for uh, having us. So that the guy, uh, sorry guys, but they, they all had to go. They all had very, very tight commitments. All right, let, let's talk about uh, some housekeeping rules. First of all, let's go to the markets and let's just see where we're at. So we've got Bitcoin at 23,000. Let's take a look at the bubbles to see if anything's happening uh, on the markets right now. I did see earlier, I did see a theta pump earlier and I just want to show you something. Remember yesterday we spoke about the root of all pumps. So I went, I saw theta, theta had a huge pump earlier. It came down a little bit today. Where did the pump come from? Korea. Just stick to the rules. We spoke about this yesterday. Just speak, just stick to the rules. All right. Josh, how are we doing on the likes? How, how many? 1,500 likes. Okay, listen, listen, listen. What we're going to do is we are going to give you guys one minute. Let's go. One. You guys have got one minute uh, to get to 2,000 likes. Let me, let me just get a stopwatch here. All right, the stopwatch has started. Let's check the likes. If we get to 2,000 likes, we give away the Rolex again. Well, we try and give away the Rolex if uh, if the person who if the winner is there. There we go. You can see me. One thousand six hundred likes. You guys have got. Let's go, 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 go. What is that? Okay, how many you got? We got thirty seconds. Thirty seconds to get three hundred likes. Are we going to get the three hundred likes? If yes, we give away the Rolex. Two. Oh, we got two. Now it's getting juicy. Now it's getting juicy. Now it's getting super juicy. It's getting super juicy now. Super juicy. Okay, we have. What do we have? We have, we have, we have 15 seconds and we have 100 likes. 1.9. Come on, can we do this? Can we do this? Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We still got one. We still got one thousand nine hundred likes. I guess we have to go again on Monday. I'll see you guys again on Monday. Until then, if you've loved this show, smash up a like, subscribe to our channel. Oh, we got two thousand. Wow, oh, man. Okay, you know what? It was after the. It was after the uh, the cutoff time, but I guess in the in the interest of 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 fun and uh, and and the, and being part of the banter fam, we are going to give away the Rolex. Well, we can try and give away the Rolex. Before I give away the Rolex, I just want to remind you again that this show is brought to you by NordVPN. They are our sponsors. They are the best crypto VPN in the world. Guys, if you're surfing crypto without a VPN, you, you're on a suicide mission. You're on a, it's, like, it's like driving, I want to say driving without a seatbelt, but that's not even, it's not even crazy enough. It's like driving out a, a racetrack without a seatbelt. Because you're giving away your IP address. And if you're giving away your IP address, you're giving away too much information about yourself, including where you live. Just go and get yourselves a VPN. There's a referral link below under the show. Here it is. Click it. Pay $4 a month. If you're serious about your crypto, do that. All right, let's go, go, go. Let's do the Rolex watch very quickly. 
So the let me just see what the numbers are here. So we're gonna do a random number generator. You got five hours after yeah, you got five hours after the show to 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 mail us at giveawayscryptobanter.com and tell us that you're the winner. Let's select the winner, six four three seven. All right, here's a random number generator. Uh one to six four three seven. Let's pick a number, six four three seven. Let's generate that number. Two seven eight three. And the watch is a black Rolex Submariner for row number 2783 on the spreadsheet. Uh, let's quickly go to row 2783 and give away a Rolex. You've got five hours from 2783. So account number on Bybit, account number 2715073. If you get back to us in the next five hours, the Rolex black face Submariner is yours. You've got five hours from now. And remember, if you want to enter this competition, open an exchange account using a crypto banter referral link. Any exchange account, any crypto banter referral link gets you in. Every trade you make is one entry, and we're going to give away two more Rolexes before the end of the month. See you guys again on Monday. Until then, have fun. Trade well, my friends.